Welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Oh Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. The word of the Lord. So getting into Psalm chapter 3. Um, at the beginning of Psalm 3, you'll see this line uh, right beside, if you have your Bible open or uh, in your phone or whatever, uh, you'll see this line that says, A Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And some of you who are here might not know the background to that, and you're kind of going, what in the world does that mean? Well, I'll give you a little short version, the Spark Notes version. 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where you'll find the beginning of this story. Uh, so King David had been ruling in his kingdom, in the kingdom of Israel, for a little while. He was having peace, prosperity, success. Things were going really good for the kingdom of Israel. And so King David, in springtime, at the beginning of chapter 11 in 2 Samuel, the, the writer of, of 2 Samuel says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Oh, so David, the king, isn't out at battle when all the other kings are out at battle. He's deciding, you know what, life's pretty good, I'm going to stay home. And, the, and if you read along in the text, it says that he's on the top of his palace in the sight of all Jerusalem, and he's looking out over his kingdom. He gets up from his couch, and he gazes down, and he sees this roof where there's a woman bathing, and man, she is fine. And he's like, hmm. Hey, uh, talks to his advisors. Hey, guys, go, go find, who is that? I would, I'd like to, uh, I want to know who that is. And they're like, well, that's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. One of your men who's fighting for you on the front lines, where you should be. So he sends for her. The men go and meet her, bring her to the palace. One thing leads to another. A month later, she calls him up. Hey, David, guess what? I'm pregnant. So what's the king supposed to do? Well, 
David doesn't want everybody to know what happened, so he tries to cover it up. So he calls Uriah back from the front lines. He feeds him. He sends him home. He's like, go enjoy your wife. But Uriah doesn't even go into his house because he's like, all the men are battling out in the field. They're sacrificing their time, their time at home. They're putting themselves at risk. How dare I try to go and enjoy my own home and my own wife? So he goes back on the battlefield, and David sends word to the commander at the front and says, put Uriah at the front of the line and have everybody pull back. And Uriah is killed. And then so David goes and takes Bathsheba into his house, marries her, she becomes one of his wives. He thinks everything's great. The secret nobody knows. But God knew. So God sends Nathan, sends Nathan, the prophet, to David, who confronts him on this and calls him out for what he's done. And Nathan says to him this in 2 Samuel 12, Behold, this is God's word to David, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun, for you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. So that's the background to as we get into this text. Um, but fast forward a little bit in this story, and then David, in his, he, so he, the, the, the child that is born dies. And Nathan also says to him that the sword will never leave your house. So you fast forward a little bit down the road, and some, David has other sons with his other wives. One of them is named Amnon, another one is named Absalom. And Amnon uh, falls in love with one of his half-sisters, because David has these multiple wives and concubines, and they all give him children. And so he falls in love with one of the other, one of the half-sisters, and her name is Tamar, and Amnon is so enraptured with her, and he needs, in his mind, he's like, I need to be with her, I need to be with her, but she refuses him. So he creates, he devises a plan for her to be brought to him, he pretends that he's sick, she brings him food, he traps her in his room, rapes her, and then she says, oh, now you have to take me to be yours, I have to stay with you, you need to care for me. But the scripture says that he hated her with an even greater hate than which he loved her. And he has his men throw her out. An absolutely despicable thing. And Tamar's brother, Absalom, hears about this and is enraged. David also hears about it and is angry, but he does nothing. So Absalom now plots a scheme. He waits a good amount of time, he's patient, but he plots a scheme to, have, to be met with Amnon, and Absalom has his men kill Amnon. But then Absalom fears for his own life. He's, now he's like, now the king, my dad, is going to come after me, and he's going to punish me for this. So he flees with his men. And after a couple years, he comes back because David finally welcomes him back to Jerusalem, but he says, you can have nothing to do in public life. You can't be a part of my household. And Absalom says, well, then what's the point of me being here? So David says, 
after an amount of time, sure, fine, come back. You can be a part of the household. But Absalom hasn't forgotten what happened in the past. And so he still, he is plotting to get back at David for all the ways that David hasn't brought justice. And so Absalom stays at the city gate and he says to all the people as they come by, they're coming by to see the king with their problems. They want justice for whatever problems are happening in their lives. And he's like, the king's not going to give you justice. He's like, if only I was king, I would give you justice. He's young, he's handsome. He's telling them, days would be better if I was the king. And he gets the hearts of the people And he conspires to overthrow David, and he succeeds. And now David's the one fleeing, believing that the men are going to come after him, and the men are going to kill him, and that he's being pursued. And so he flees and encounters scorn and mockery. And once David flees, Absalom fulfills the prophecy that Nathan had said, and Absalom takes David's mistresses on top of the palace, Same place where David looked out and saw Bathsheba, and he sleeps with David's mistresses in the sight of all Jerusalem. That's a sordid history. But that's the background to this psalm. And that's the situation that David is in as he writes this psalm. Absalom's men hunting him down wherever he goes, people calling him out, cursing him, saying there's no salvation for him in God. And in this psalm, you can hear David's pain and his fear. But in the midst of that pain, as we go through this psalm, you can also hear his confidence in the Lord. And I think as we look at this psalm and we think about the context that David was in and we think about our lives and our side of salvation history where we are on this side of the cross, we can see that the main point of this psalm is that confidence in Christ leads to assurance, rest, and salvation. Confidence in Christ leads to assurance, rest, and salvation. And we'll see this uh, confidence can come about because of, there's three reasons in this text to have this kind of confidence. The Lord shields, number one. The Lord sustains, number two. And the Lord saves, number three. So the Lord shields. First three verses again. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. David sees all the enemies rising up around him. He sees Absalom's men pursuing him. He sees that the people now love Absalom instead of him. He's lost favor with the people. Nobody wants him to be king anymore, he thinks. They just want him gone. They're cursing him out, calling him a man of blood, saying that he can't be saved. David's basically feeling like the whole world is against him. That there's nobody to help him but these few guys who are with him as he flees. He's got nothing. Feels like his family, his his friends, his, his household has turned on him. 
Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a situation anywhere similar to that where it feels like the whole world is against you? Maybe you did something and your family is super upset with you or maybe your coworkers are upset with you or maybe you've been bullied at school and everywhere you turn, you feel like you just can't get the help that you need and that life is just a struggle. That's where David's at. To the extreme, people are literally looking to kill him and if, he's not, if they're not looking to kill him, they're wishing he was dead. But notice what David does here. Even as he expresses all of that pain and fear, look what he does. He turns his focus away from himself, away from his own pain, and to God. He changes his focus. He's not focusing just on his circumstances. He's turning and he's looking at who God is and who, the, the fact that God makes these promises that he is with him. And all the history behind that. He doesn't ignore his problems or try to hide them. He doesn't pretend like they're not there or give some kind of facade of happiness. Oh, everything's fine. Things are good because I'm in the Lord. No, he's honest. He's honest about his pain. He's honest about his fear. But he doesn't let his problems drive him to despair. He laments about his situation and the threats against him, but he immediately shifts his focus to Yahweh, the Lord who saves, and he says, O Lord, you are a shield about me. When he says that, that, that language of being a shield about him, he's actually drawing on the patriarchs, the, 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 the ancient fathers of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Going back, if you look in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, there was this big situation where Abraham was dealing with these other kings, and they tried to, to pay him for what he had done for them. And he said, no, my blessing must come from the Lord. And then the Lord comes to him and says, I am your shield. And David's drawing on that. He's remembering the history, how the, how the Lord has protected his people all of these years, as the Lord has blessed his people, and he's relying on that, that the Lord will come through for him as well. But undoubtedly, it was a significant time of fear for David. I've had times of fear in my life. If I remember back through the years, I look, think back all the way to my childhood, I remember a time when in elementary school, I don't know how old I was, eight, nine, ten, something like that, and there was this kid at school who came from a really rough home, and he was bullying me and threatening me in different ways. I was way bigger than him. I don't know what I was scared about. But nevertheless, I was fearful. I didn't know what was going to happen. Another time when I was older, working one of my jobs, there were a couple of rather unstable people that I worked with, and they were upset with me for some reason. And they made it known that they were upset with me, and they would mock me, and they would, they would do things to kind of sabotage my day, my work day. And I remember thinking, how far is this going to go? Are they going to show up at my house one day? Like, do I need to fear? Do I need to fear for my own safety or... How far is this going to go? There's stressful things that we can go through in our lives as we're going through times like this. 
times where we lose sleep, times where we lose weight because this, we just don't even want to eat, we're so stressed. Unlike David, thankfully I had my family and friends who were in full support of me. But it was a very hard situation. But I remember also being in those times the Lord's faithfulness. He comforted, me, he comforted me by his word. Seeing his faithfulness as I read through his word and I look at how he was faithful to people like David, even people like Abraham, even though those guys sinned against God and against others in big ways, God was faithful to them. Because we don't earn God's love by our actions. God loves us already. I remember God, through his word, assuring me of my protection in him and that only by his will would anything happen. Because things don't always go well for us when we're in those hard times. They don't always turn around right away and God delivers us from that right away. Sometimes he has things for us to learn through those difficulties. So he's with us through it. But nothing will happen to us outside his will. I knew that even if physical harm would come to me, that God is my shield, he is my shelter, he is my joy, he is my peace. So friends, if if that's something that you have gone through or you are going through, or maybe there's an incredible depth of fear of something else in life, a health situation or a potential job loss or something along those lines. These are valid fears that we have. And they're really hard to go through. But to get through them well, knowing and believing what Scripture has to say is absolutely key to dealing with it. To dealing with fear, to dealing with doubt. It's by his word that the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's by his word that he humbles you. That he reminds you of all the ways that he's provided in the past for God's people. Old Testament, New Testament. You think of church history, all the ways that God has provided for his people. You think about your own history, how God has provided for you in your life. It's when we spend time in his word that he reminds us of these things and speaks to us and gives us the confidence in Christ that we need, that he is our shield against anything that the world, the flesh, and the devil can throw against us. He is our shield. As David writes in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. The Lord is our protector. He is our shield. And if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he is your shield too. Martin Luther in the great song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, wrote this in verse 3 of that song. And though this world with devils filled... And by devils, he doesn't just mean spiritual things. He means all sorts of evils that can come against you. 
And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. God shields us. He is your protector. So when you're going through those times, go to him. Cry out to him. Lament to him. And know that he hears you and that he is with you and that he protects you. He is your shield. And he also sustains you. Continuing on, verses 4 through 6, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Many scholars, if you read through different commentaries and things, believe that these few verses are actually the main point of this whole psalm, that the Lord is our sustainer, that he is our keeper, that he answers our cries. If you know your Bible, you might remember the end of Exodus chapter 1 when the Hebrew people are in slavery in Egypt and they're crying out to the Lord. And at the end of that chapter, it says that the Lord heard them and he knew. The Lord heard them and he knew. What did he know? He knew the promises that he had made to them and the work that needed to be done. He knew their pain and their suffering. He wasn't distant from them. He was near with them and he knew what was happening, what they needed to be delivered from, and what he needed to do about it. And David has utter confidence in the fact that God has heard him and is answering him. He already remembers what God has done for him, what God has done for his people. And when he thinks about the thousands of people who have gathered against him, when he sees and hears the threats that are coming against his life, from all these people from all around, instead of fretting, instead of driving deep into despair and losing sleep and allowing the fear to take over his mind, what does he do? He lies down and sleeps. Think about that for a second. Think about all of the fear that he was facing, all the trouble that was coming his way, and he was able to still have a good night's sleep. In seminary, one of the professors that we had was talking to us about um, the coming years of, of ministry that we would be in, pastoral ministry, all the troubles and, and lists that this long of things that we had to do. And, and he said, sometimes in those situations, you're going to get to a Friday and your sermon's not written. And the most worshipful thing you can do is have a nap. And that's true. Now, I know there's a lot of people here that are super hard workers, and you're hearing that. There's a lot of work to do, and you have a nap? That doesn't make any sense. you got to get the work done. Come on. We work hard. Yes, we work hard. Absolutely. But sometimes we need to rest. Because when we rest, we show that we have faith that God is going to provide, that he is going to give us everything we need. We show that we actually are relying on him, not just on our own strength. Think about sleep for a moment. What do you do in your sleep? Who provides what you need to keep your heart pumping? Who keeps your lungs breathing? Who wakes you in the morning? 
Who keeps the world turning? Who keeps the laws of nature in check? You? Of course not. We know that all these things are out of our control, and the Lord provides. The Lord provides. He has given you everything that you have, including your ability to work hard, and he is your sustainer. When you're able to sleep well in the midst of all that stress and and trouble, it shows that you trust in the Lord and his sovereign grace and his will. There's a a lot of passages through scripture that speak to this, that remind us of this fact that he is the one who sustains, he is the one who provides, he's the one that we should be trusting in and not worrying. One of them, Matthew chapter 6 Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking with them about all these different things that they, that they need to do. The, their understanding of the Old Testament, their understanding of the law, and he's clarifying it for them. And he gets to this point where he says, look at the birds of the air. Do they store their food in barns? And yet your heavenly Father provides for them. And how much more valuable are you than they So don't worry. He also says that about clothing. Don't worry. The Lord clothes the lilies of the field more beautifully than any king that you can ever see. How much more does he care about you? So don't worry. Or we could add, don't worry about your college coursework. Or don't, don't worry about your children as they're growing up and getting married. Don't worry about the what-ifs of life. And honestly, that's a weakness of mine. What if? Well, if this, ha- if this is happening, then what's going to happen next? And what's going to happen tomorrow? And what's going to happen next week? And what's going to happen next year? Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do? But Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow. At the end of that passage in the Sermon on the Mount, he says... Do not worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble of its own. In the old King James, it's sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Another great passage to remember in times when we want to worry is Lamentations 3, verses 22 to 23, where the writer says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's basically the equivalent of Jesus saying, Go and have a rest. Have a good sleep. No matter what's going on around you, no matter what kind of worries you have, no matter what troubles are happening, make sure that you get a good sleep. I've got you. I've got you. The Lord's mercies are new every morning, and the quickest way that we can get to experiencing those mercies that are new every morning is by having a good sleep. So the Lord shields, the Lord sustains, and the Lord saves. Verses 7 and 8, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. 
And that's the end of the psalm. So flowing out of the fact that God shields us and that God sustains us, David is acknowledging that God alone saves. So he's got all these people telling him that he's not savable. Salvation is not for him in God, they're saying. But David's acknowledging it's not actually for them to say. They can't say if he's saved or not. It's only God who can save. It's only God who knows. It's only God who knows his heart. So he calls on God to arise against his enemies and says, rise up and save me. My only hope is in you. You alone can deliver me. You alone can defeat my enemies. You alone can save me. And David knew the truth. It wasn't up to these people to decide. So David acknowledges and says, the Lord, or salvation belongs to the Lord. I think when people commit big sins, sometimes really public ones, you know, you see people on the news, you might hear of scandals in churches, and, and you'll hear people say things like, oh, there's a special place in hell for guys like that. And I understand the, the gut reaction to some of these things that happen, whether it's abuse or, um, you know, abuse of power or abuse of, of people on, an, on a very intimate, individual basis. I understand having that gut reaction, absolutely. There should be something to pay for these things. But we can't presume to think that there is no salvation for them. We don't know what the Lord is doing behind the scenes. So rather than heaping judgment, we should be in prayer. We should be lamenting the situation, lamenting the fact that these things have happened, helping the victims, but also praying. The Lord tells us to pray for our enemies. And we need to be praying for those who have done horrendous things. pastor friend of mine recently told me a story about when he was a guest preacher at a church many decades ago. And right before he was to preach, so he's visiting this church. He doesn't go there a lot. He, he's visiting. He's sitting up front, ready to preach. And one of the elders of the church comes to him and says, uh, by the way, right before you preach, our lead pastor's resigning. Oh, well, that's fantastic. So the lead pastor gets up. Uh, and he says, he makes this announcement. He says, I'm resigning from the church. Uh, many of you already know that my wife has been having an affair on me, so I need to step down from pastoral ministry. My marriage is falling apart, so I'm unable to continue. But then what he said next showed you the heart of the pastor, and he said, as, as you're processing all of this, as you're thinking about me and thinking about this marriage and the church, please don't gossip about my wife. Please don't say negative things about her. Please just pray for her. Later that week, as she was packing her things to leave and move out, he was trying to convince her to stay home, and he was saying things like, like, we can make this work. Don't leave me. And she's like, no. I'm out. I'm running off with this other man. So what he did is he walked outside, 
and he washed her car for her. The woman who is casting him aside, cheating on him, going against their vows. The woman who's cost him his ministry. And he goes outside and washes her car for her. Years later, this same guest preacher, as he was on a hike with his wife, walking down the path, and who comes the other way? This old pastor who had resigned and who's holding his hand. His wife. And my friend says to him, I'm shocked. I'm amazed after years. I was wondering what had ever happened to you guys, and here you are together. And they said, the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When you get to the end of this psalm, David says, your blessing be on your people. And a few centuries later, a descendant of his would bring blessing for all his people. A descendant of David's, a few centuries later, would leave the city of Jerusalem being mocked and scorned. With people saying, you should die. There's no salvation for you. You save yourself. And he went all the way to the cross. And as he hung there, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And through Jesus' sacrificial death and glorious resurrection, defeating death, defeating Satan, defeating sin, we have now the hope of the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus died for us. That he died, that he took sin and shame upon himself, even though he was sinless. He was scorned and mocked in ways that we deserve for our sin, but he didn't deserve because he was sinless. And he paid the price for our sins so that we could have salvation in God. So that people who sin against him could have salvation in God, even though we don't deserve it. The only reason that salvation is available for us in God is because of what Jesus did. Yes, David suffered all those years ago, but Jesus' suffering purchased salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So you can, if you have confidence in Christ and that his work on the cross, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection has paid the price for your sins and bought you a relationship with God now, you can have assurance, you can have rest, and you can be saved. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And that we can look at stories like David's and, and we can see how you were working in him and through him. And you were working in that situation. Lord, even though David did all of these evil things in the past and was reaping the consequences now. Lord, we understand that there are consequences on, in this life for our actions. But we praise you that you have paid the price for us on a level that we can have salvation 
and be saved and be in your family, Lord, being declared righteous because of what Christ has done, having his blood shed for us, covering our sins, wiping them away, and giving us as a gift his righteousness. So, Lord, we thank you for these psalms. We thank you that we can see you working in and through them. We thank you for your word. Would you give us the conviction to be in your word, to allow you to speak to us through your word on a regular basis, Lord? For those who are struggling through different things right now, I pray that you would be near them. Bless them. Give them the confidence that they need in the Lord Jesus so that they can rest. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.